0: Now there'll be a change this week because we are commencing our Bible studies again uh, on Wednesday night at eight o'clock from eight to about twenty to nine, we'll be preaching the word and then from twenty to nine to half nine as the spirit leads, we'll be we'll we'll be engaging in, in prayer. And you can come to the first half of the meeting, and if it doesn't suit you, some have children and some have commitments and you're welcome to come to the first half of the meeting of course we would love for you to stay if you can but if you can come to the first half bring your bible and hear what the word of god is going to say to us for we are very a very precious and special subject that that we're taking up i'm sure that the uh, that most of you know what's happening in Europe at the present time and the world this morning watches with great curiosity great curiosity what's going to happen next and if you read your papers and listen to the news you will discover that things are heading towards the end at an awesome rate in every area of the word of God prophesied these things are happening. 112,000 Russian troops and tanks are gathered around Ukraine this morning. Just heard on the news that Israel is planning an evacuation to lift out something like a quarter of a million Jews out of Ukraine. They have the plans in place. I heard also in the news on the weekend that Russia had sent in an awesome supply of blood banks into Ukraine and other medical equipment. Something's happening because the world is watching so intensely at what's going on. And this is all prophetical, all prophetical. Another war is at our door. And I want you, during the week, to read Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, and read it very carefully. And there are a number of other scriptures that tell us that Russia is going to invade Israel, along with Iran and Turkey and others. And that attack on Israel is in the very near future. And I'm going to preach on the war of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39 on Wednesday nights. You bring your Bible if you're interested in prophetical scriptures. Bring the Word of God with you and lay your phone at home. Bring your family with you, because what was prophesied by Ezekiel, Ezekiel two thousand six hundred years ago are about to take place. We're in often days. Come and hear the Word of God. Come and listen to the scriptures that are not being preached so that we can get a, 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 a jimp in our step and see and realize that the end is near and what we should be and what we should be doing and what we should be living like. That's the, that's the real reason behind preaching like that. I'm going to preach on these Wednesday nights. God has burdened my heart over two chapters of Scripture that's never preached and yet is going to be fulfilled very shortly. Amazing. So you bring your Bible, read Ezekiel 38 and 39. And I'll give you other scriptures to read in in relation to it when you come on Wednesday night, come, make your date to come, get the Word of God. People are saying to me, "Why have we no Bible study? Well, here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity now, and if there was something else on, you would make a, you'd make a, an arrangement to come, so try and get out and hear the word and get it into your heart and get it into your family, and let us keep watching and living. For the end, I'm telling you, is very near. God has laid these meetings on my heart. See you at 8 o'clock. See you maybe Monday night. See you Friday night if you can. But we'll see you at 8 o'clock on Wednesday night. And we will be in the Word and we shall be in prayer. Those are all the announcements. And we make them subject to the will of the Lord. Returning to Galatians chapter 4. And verse 18. Galatians chapter 4, and verse 18. I'm preaching on a half a verse this morning. I don't usually preach from tax, and I don't really enjoy preaching from tax. But I'm preaching from a half a text this morning, half a verse this morning. At a way back about probably six months ago, God laid it on my heart and gave me an outline for it. And I sat on my desk and I didn't know when the Lord wanted me to preach it, but I believe this is the morning I was to preach it. It's found in the 18th verse of Galatians chapter 4. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. Read it again. It is good to be zealously affected in a good thing. Now if the inspired word of God and the anointed apostle, Paul, the servant of God, tells us that something is good twice in a half a verse, then it must be good. It must be good if God said it's good, for it has to be. Everything about God is good, and everything he says is good. The workings of God is good, for we know that all things work together for good. Worshipping God is good. Psalm 73, it is good for me to draw near unto God. The will of God is good. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies holy and acceptable unto God. That ye present your bodies holy and acceptable unto God for the good and perfect will of God. So the will of God is good, and worshiping God is good, and the working of God is good. Now if Paul says zeal and I'll tell you in a moment what that is, if he God, Paul tells us zeal is good and necessary and fundamental for this church at Galatia, then it has to be good for us this morning. Zeal is my message this morning. The word means earnestly, fervently, and eagerly fired up to boiling point. I'm going to say that again. The word actually means fervently, eagerly, fired up to boiling point. You often hear people saying, that church is on fire for God, although I don't see too many of them. You often hear them saying, that man or that woman, they're on fire for God. John the Baptist was on fire for God. He was a burning and a shining light. Jeremiah was a fire for God. He he, he says, the fire is shut in on my soul. James talks about the effectual fire, fervent, the same word, fire, and prayer. Thirty times in the Old Testament and New Testament, it is used, that word, It is used to describe the Lord Jesus Christ at least five times. The Old Testament scriptures tell us that he was clad and clothed and wrapped round with zeal. Let me develop what I'm going to try to say this way this morning. Fire can be a good thing or it can be an evil thing. It can be the best of servants, But the worst of masters, you be glad of it to warm your house on a cold night. You be glad of it to cook your meal and to burn your rubbish. It's a good thing for our purposes. But when it becomes the master, it's a different thing. If you hear a fizzling and a cracking about three o'clock in the morning and you smell the smoke, It has become a master, and it's not a good thing. Now, my application this morning, I believe, is rich. And I want to, as old J.C. Ryle said in this text 150 years ago, I want to strike a blow this morning at at the lazy, sleeping, carnal, indolent church in these last days and the lazy, sleepy, carnal Christian in these days when we should all be on fire for God. Now, the first thing I want to say this morning is this. You can be zealously affected in a wrong thing. You can be zealously affected in a wrong thing. This is not only evident from our text because that's why it emphasizes a good thing. But it's emphasized right through Scripture, and it's emphasized right through our life. Do you know that one of the twelve disciples that our Lord Jesus Christ called was a zealot before he was saved? He was a murdering zealot. Simon the Zealot. He would be equal to one of the red-hand commandos. He'd be equal to one of the dissident, uh, provisional IRA men. From he got up out of his bed in the morning to his went to bed at night, he had one passion, he had one burden, he had one fervency in spirit. That was to destroy and wipe out the Romans. There's no talking to these boys. He was bent on destroying the occupation forces of the Romans in Israel. That was their job. That was what they lived for. You see, let me just explain this. There were three, or there were four forces at work in the Lord's day in the Gospels. There was the Pharisees, the religious fundamental Pharisees who suppressed the people laid down raw laws and rituals and traditions and burdens that they couldn't handle. Secondly, there was the Sadducees, the religious elite, liberalists, rich and aristocratic who did not believe in the resurrection. And then there was the Essenes, the tight boys, they shut themselves away in the desert at times and studied and debated the word of God. And then, fourthly, there was the Zealots, These were the movements in these days. The zealots were extremists. They were militants. They were outside the law. They were ready to die for their cause. And while you would detest their ideology, ideology, you would salute their tenacity because they were men of one thing, one thing. They had a wrong, wrong zeal. The night before our Lord Jesus Christ called the twelve disciples, he spent it in prayer. And if you read Luke's rendering of that in Luke 6, the word means there that all night he interceded unrelentlessly in prayer because he was coming down the next day to select twelve apostles. He was coming to make a decision that would last out through all eternity. He was coming to make one of the greatest decisions of his life. To call twelve men, twelve apostles, and he prayed the whole night. Now, I often wonder when the Lord Jesus Christ was praying; he must have prayed all the time, just direct, well he did all the time, directly to the Father. But I was thinking, I was trying to compare his prayer with my prayer. You see, I spend most of my prayer, my time praying, confessing sin. Maybe you don't. Well, he had no sin to confess. I spend a lot of time asking the Lord to forgive me and to cleanse me and to help me and saying, Lord, I'll, I'm sorry, I'll not do it. He had nothing like that to pray. He prayed directly all night. That word is a very special word. He interceded all night to God the Father. And if he needed to pray all night, we need to pray all night. That he would make the right choice. Now I'm saying this from a uh, from uh, his manhood, pointed. He, he cried and he prayed all night. And when he comes down, look what he calls. I wouldn't have called one of them. I wouldn't have shortlisted one of these boys. unschooled and ignorant men. I tell you, you wouldn't go far in your CV without the day. Unlearned and ignorant men, tax collectors, throwing into the next Thomas and Judas, and this fellow the Lotis. And James and John, the sons of thunder, he had men of thunder and men of fire. That's what he wanted. That's what we need today. Boy, what a motley crowd he called. Matthew worked for the, Matthew worked for the Romans. That's why they hated Matthew. He was a Roman tax collector. And this other boy, he was trying to kill the Romans. Can you imagine them two boys in a prayer meeting? Can you can you can you imagine Matthew and Simon Zelotes in a prayer meeting? Yes, you can, because the Lord dealt with both of them. That's the difference. The Lord took these men and he discipled them and he trained them and he used them mightily for his kingdom. He knew what he was doing. And that's all we are this morning—a bunch of gather-ups, but God has called us to do His work. And Josephus, who's 100%, I believe, correct, <clears throat> Josephus tells us that this fellow, Zelotes kept the fire. He didn't lose the fire. Boy, I tell you, if we could transfer some of the fire from past days and political scenes and all other scenes over to the house of God, we'd have revival. He kept the fire. And it says, tradition says, that he went north to the British Isles and he was martyred for his faith. Not a bit of wonder. So that's what a zealot is. Where would I start this morning to describe to you zealots who are affected with the wrong thing? We could go through the list and dozens more. Alexander the Great burnt out at 32 years of age. Nero, who hardly slept, killing Christians. Julius Caesar. Pharaoh. Haman. Herod. Hitler. Mussolini. The Hamas. The Taliban. The Palestinians. The axes of evil now that are working. And one thing to do is to wipe out. You'll hear this on Wednesday. Is to wipe out. They're all coming together to wipe out the Jews. But God's going to wipe them out on the hills of Israel. You'll read that if you read Ezekiel 38 and 39. The Iatoll in Iran, Aragon in Turkey, Putin, the ex-KGB commander who is all the world l- licking at his feet tonight and they're all afraid of him. This morning. Then we think of Nimrod and Manasseh. Manasseh. Oh, what a zealot Manasseh was. The, godly, the, the son of the godly Hezekiah who took his own children and offered them up as sacrifice on their altar of Moloch, who, if history is right, and I believe that it is, put Isaiah the evangelical prophet into a barrel alive and saw under. do Oh, talk about zealots. We can't get out to a meeting. Not to talk about the beast that is coming, the Antichrist. Not to talk about the devil himself, he's going about as a roaring lion, the greatest zealot that ever was, on fire to destroy every Christian he can. In 2014, I went out to Vancouver Island, an island off Vancouver City, Victoria, to visit my brother who was dying with cancer, has since died. He died a short time after he came back. He was very ill. And I got a flight to London and I crossed the Atlantic from London. And I was on my own and I was in this jet and there was three seats there, three seats here, three seats there, another three seats over there. And... On my left-hand side, there was a man and his wife and his daughter, I believe, for she looked like. And six o'clock sharp, I remember looking at the watch, this man got down behind the seat and his wife got down behind the seat and the daughter got down behind the seat. They were Muslims and they started to pray. And they, they bounced about that much that the people in the seats in front of them began to turn around. And they were, they were calling and they were praying in the middle of the Atlantic. And I thought, I was watching the film. Boys, I thought to myself. Sitting beside me was a Muslim. And he began to talk to him and I began to witness to him. You see the zeal of those people. If I went for nothing else over to Victoria, I tell you, God spoke to me. What do you more than others? And I don't know how long that chanting and that praying went on and then people had to put up with it in front of them. Well, they were going to honor... Their Lord, their, their their God. They were going to honour their God. They were they were zealously affected in an evil thing. They done murder. Where do we stand in all this this morning? BBC and Open Doors. There just a week or so ago I was listening to the news say that the persecution and the slaughter of Christians and has passed now. In Afghanistan, it's greater than it was in North Korea. It's number one, Afghanistan. You hear the news, listen to the news. They're catching Christians by the back of the head and they're pulling them back and they're slitting their throat. Dozens of them every day. Because if they find a Bible, if they find a prayer meeting, if they find anywhere, they're slaying Men, women and children. Talk about zeal. Talk about zeal. How many men could I not explain to you? Think about the sodomites. Think about the abortionists. Think about the climate change. All zealous. All zealous for what they're doing. And zealous in a thing sometimes most of us not good. Zealously affected. Fired up. There were Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons wheeling the pram through the mire. a wee baby in the pram. Another one sitting on top of the pram. Another one by the hand. And in this hand, a bundle of literature that would take it to hell. On a Saturday morning. zealously affected and fired up on the wrong thing. Secondly, you can be zealously affected and fired up on the right thing, but in the wrong way. Let that sink into your skull this morning. Look across Christendom this morning alone. Thousands, thousands this morning are doing the right thing, but they're doing it in a wrong way. Think of the Jews this morning. They have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. Think of the old Saracens and the Crusaders and the Jesuits and the Anabaptists and the Pharisees who'd cross land or sea to make one proselyte and make them a getter for the kingdom of hell. Vincent de Paul. Think of the many that are doing good things, but they're doing it for the wrong purpose and doing it in the wrong way. Think of Moses. you remember Moses with his patriotic zeal got all fired up? And he went away before God. It's dangerous to go in front of God. And then all his training and affairs and everything else that he had, there was something in his heart for his people. There's something in his heart that all of the Egyptian law and everything else couldn't wash out of or wipe out of that man. And he slew the Egyptian and he buried him in the sand to get his people released. Done the right thing, but he'd done it the wrong way and the wrong time. Oh, surely God was going to release the people, but he was going to release them in his time, not in Moses' time. We want to go on and we're zealous for something that's not right for the right time. I hope you're sapping this up this morning because God has something, I'm sure, to say to us all. Think of Jehu. Read about him in the Scriptures. He blazed a mighty trail, and what he was doing was good because he was sent to do it, but he did it in the wrong way. When he said to them, come up, come up onto the chariot with me here and see my zeal. That's where you went. See my zeal. aye. <laughs> What about native in the bayou who went in and offered the strange fire? God wiped them out. What about David and us when they were bringing up the cart? God said, bring the ark, bring the ark back, bring it back up to Jerusalem. We need the ark in Jerusalem. Surely they did. But they had to bring it up God's way. Doing the right thing. The wrong way. And your boy put out the hand to steady the cart. Just to steady the old cart. God wiped them out like that. Don't you touch. God's anointed, let it be his servant, let it be his people. You be careful what you touch. David was full of zeal and these boys were full of zeal to get this ark up, but they did it the wrong way. It has to be done the right way, which I'm going to end with this morning. You know, let me say a wee word practical to us. You know, we as evangelical Christians these days, we want to get the job done too. We want to get it done as quick as we can. We want to get the meeting over as quick as we can. We want to tick the box. We want to get the suit off and the hat off. And we want to get back to the Twitter and to the Facebook and to the soaps. And we'll not be outside the door to be the old phone diggling again. Just mark the box and tick the box. Another service over. We'll go back the night. Another service over. Make it out during the week. Another service over. Go on to the next one. On to the next one. Fast food fellowship, I call it. What do we know? We sing. We sing sometimes. Oh, as we sang this morning for a closer walk with God. But we sing about being in the presence of God and waiting in holiness. What do we know about the presence of God? When will the day come when we'll come into a house of God like this and we'll say, I don't care, I never get home, I want to stay in the presence of God? I don't care about my dinner of the day, I don't care about the phone, I don't care about Facebook. Or we'd face the book instead of Facebook don't care about those things. I just want a closer walk with God. Take time to be holy. <laughs> Many of you take time to be holy during the week. Well, I'm be honest now. And Danny, if you last spend an hour just alone with God. Nothing, just you and God. The whole other old contrivance and contraption switched off. Just you and God. Is he not worth that? Have you no desire for him? Be still, my soul, we sing. But it's none of those things that I want to close with this morning. It's not zeal in the wrong way. It's not zeal that is evil. But to be zealously affected in doing the right thing, the good thing, God's thing, in God's way, at God's time. What a text this is. Well, we start with the Apostle Paul. This one thing I do Listen to his testimony. Listen to his zealot. Listen to a man fervent, a man sold out, a man on fire for God, a man who was lifted from darkness and brought into light, the man who gave us the 14 probably epistles. Listen to a man that had got a touch of the fire and got a touch in his soul. Listen to him. Night and day, with tears, I warned the people in Ephesus. With stripes often and above measure. Prisons frequent death often, night and day in the deep. Perils in the water, perils of robbers, perils of the heathen, perils in the cities, in the wilderness, in the sea, and amongst false brethren. Weariness and painfulness and hunger and thirst and fasting and cold and nakedness. Then he said this none of these things move me. Oh God help us Not one of them moved. What a testament. How does it weigh up with ours? None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish the course with joy and the ministry that I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What a man. Boy, it was a good thing he was after. He wasn't fooling about. Down with placards. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was the key. He loved me. And we're going to end with his zeal. Where would you start and where would you end with the greatest zealot that ever lived? Our Lord Jesus. Talk about a man on fire. I was going through some of the old saints of God last night on on Friday. And I was thinking of the old first century Saint Ignatius. Listen to what he said as he was traveling to the place to be devoured by the lions. He said, thank God for the lions. Thank God for these chains that are on me because Paul wore them. And then he said, "This now do I begin to be a disciple of my Master Christ?" You know they brought these men into the Colosseum in Rome, and sometimes there were ten thousand spectators watched them being mauled to death by the lions. Polycarp stood before the Roman governor and said, "Deny him, recant." And we let you free. And here's what he said. And I love this. Four score, he says, in six years. For fourscore eighty-six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. I can say I am his child for fifty years, and he has done me no wrong. Time would not begin give me time to tell this morning about Judson, of Burmer, of Carey of Wesley, of Whitfield, of Brainerd, of Morrison, of Ellett, of Stood. Zeal, full of zeal and fire for God, blazed trails, turned continents upside down, released millions from the grip of Satan. My favorite man is Henry Martin. Cambridge graduate. Do you know what they told Henry Martin in Cambridge? He says, we can teach you no more. He had a brain the size of a planet. He says, we can teach you no more. You know everything we can. We have nothing else to offer you. He could have got any job anywhere, anywhere in the world, and God got a grip of Martin. And he went to Persia, which is now Iran, and then to India. And he translated the scriptures into four or five different languages. And he blazed the trail right for God, right through every minute of every day of every year that he had, and died at 32. Can I say a wee word to you parents this morning from the heart of God? If your son or your daughter, and I'm saying to your child, if they want to go to the prayer meeting and they want to go to the morning meeting and they want to go to the evening meeting and they want to be baptised and they want to go out and give out tracts and they want to go out for God, don't you throw water on them. Don't Don't you quench that zeal if there's any zeal there you hear me now? Don't quench it on your wife and don't quench it on your husband. You'd be more concerned of having them doctors or architects than you would have them serving God. You young people get up and get to the prayer meeting get your book and get your Bible and get your notes and come out here and learn what's going to happen in the days that lie ahead for we have prophetic scriptures that hasn't even happened yet and are going to happen and we need to know how to live. Maybe God doesn't need you want you as a doctor or an engineer. He wants your heart. He's saying to you the day my son give me thine heart. You see, I was brought up when I got saved in the early days. I saw very little zeal. I saw very little people of God on fire. And it's not a bit of wonder that there's so many young people out there today and they've no fire, they've no desire, they've no longing. We're to blame. My generation to blame. Newsboys out there listening to me this morning, you take this from the heart of God. There's not a bit of fire about you. Don't you stop your children getting out to the prayer meeting. Don't you worry about 10 or 20 or 50 pounds worth of travel to the prayer meeting. Get out to the place of God. God will provide for you. Leave your work early and leave it all together if you have to. I just threw that in this morning for it's in my heart. Don't, don't, don't try to quench now if there's any wee bit of zeal or fire. God knows there's little enough of it. Oh, what a man Martin was. I'll see him in heaven one day. All these men will be in the glory. May might seen them before long. Could have seen them 10 years ago. I was walking up the lane this day 10 years ago and took the pain in the chest. And the sick stomach. We just sang here, Be Still My Soul, that morning the wheel me through Craig Hospital. God remembered me to him. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. I haven't long to go. Some of you people who are just starting out. I want you to be zealously affected in the good things, not in evil things. Not even the things that are no use to you. Oh, you need education and you need a job. I know that. But as I close, we can put all these and 10,000 more into one and we'll come nowhere near to matching the greatest zealot that ever lived. Oh, his zeal, clothed, clad in zeal. Oh, his love and his passion and his burden and his vision. The first trace of his zeal you'll get is in John 2, at the beginning of his ministry. And then at the end of his ministry, for twice, he cleansed the temple. Twice he cleansed the house of God within three years, three and a half years. The house of God needs to be cleansed every couple of years, forged. You remember he went into the outer courts of the temple and it says he looked round him. And as he looked round his heart was grieved. Grieved as he saw what was going on in the house of God. And I'm sure he's grieved this morning. He saw the extortioners. He saw the deceivers. He saw the whole outer court where there were and the Passover where they were bringing their sacrifices, you see the people traveling from a distance couldn't bring cattle and sheep. So their the hucksters and the buyers and the sellers were all there and they sold them the animal that they wanted. That's why they had the doves and the pigeon for the poor people. But they charged them awful prices. And he saw them charge the need. They had to have a sacrifice. They had to have something to offer. And and there they were. And boy, they had to pay. And those that did manage to spend days bringing lambs and bringing sheep to it, the the old priests examined them. There was nothing wrong with them, but they said there was, so that they'd get the money from them to buy the ones that they needed. That's what he saw, only a part of what he saw. Perfectly good lamb. And they told him that's no good, there's a blemish on it he so can't offer, it. so they put it to one side so they'd get the lolly. Does it change any of the day? Talk about the house of God becoming a merchandise today. Thieves he called them thieves. Our ears are thieves. And it broke his heart, and he made the wee whip. Someone said the Lord Jesus Christ lost his temper. No, he didn't lose his temper. He was wholly indignant when he saw what was going on in the house of God and how they were exhorting and destroying and wrecking and what they were doing to the house. My father's house, he said. This is my father's house. Listen, this is God's house this morning. God's house. Let me say this with all my love this morning. It's just not to just drop in for an hour on Sunday morning. This is the house of God this morning where we're supposed to meet and it's supposed to be a house of prayer. He says he's made it into a den of thieves. They were thieving, they were thieving. And he got the whip and the scourge and he scourged them out. No one oh, his grace and his mercy, he gave them. He didn't let the pigeons go. He didn't let the doves go. They were in cages. He could have opened them and let them go, but he knew he wouldn't get them back. Oh, he's full of grace and full of mercy. But he hammered out those cattle, and he hammered out, and he turned the tables and the chairs where the boys were sitting on with holy indignation. And then the disciples seen him. And they went away back to Psalm 69. And they quoted from Psalm 69, that psalm that speaks of the cross. And they said in Psalm 69, The zeal of the house of God has eaten him up. Let me quote it right. The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. The reproaches that's on thee are on me. The grief of God fell on him, and he wept, it says, and chastened his soul. What a zealot my Savior was. How could you begin to explain, my friend, the fire and the love and the passion and the burden that he had when he went all the way to Calvary's cross? When they stripped him naked and crowned him with thorns and nailed him there? When he hung naked between heaven and earth? The Son of God, the mighty Savior, I tell you, my friend, he went on fire all the way till fire consumed him. One of the last words that he said to the church was before he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock in Revelation 3. Here's what he said. As many as love as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And here's one of the last words of our Saviour, just before the church was raptured. For in Revelation three twenty is the last word, I stand at the door and knock of any man. When you come into Revelation four one, the church is out. And you're going to see that in these meetings. You mayn't agree with it, but you're going to see it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Before he said that, he said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Be zealous, be on fire, be fervent, be hot. For God, and repent. So that's why I have to leave it this morning. And that's with you as an individual. You just check. You go around the foundations. And you ask, Lord, what am I doing for you? Time for mediocrity, the time for carnality, the time for laziness is over. I can't understand. Can't understand. The death in these last days in the church. Whatever time I have left, like old J.C. Ryle, I'm going to prod, I'm going to shake, I'm going to shout. I'm going to rock if only a few believers out of their sleep to get on fire for God. God will do mighty things. He says, I'd rather have you cold. That word is dead. That's the word used for unsaved. I'd rather have you cold, unsaved. Wouldn't that be awful? an awful state. I'd rather have you cold than lukewarm. You're either cold or hot as as fire. I don't want to be lukewarm. And I can honestly say there's not a day but I say to the Lord, Lord, I don't want you to spew me out of your mouth today. I don't want to nauseate you today. I don't want to make you sick today. I want to serve you. I want to please you. It's all right for me talking to 76 years of age. I haven't much to give them now. Not much use in me getting down and saying, Lord, I surrender all. What about you? Whether take this seriously or we don't. May it be said of us, as it was said of the Corinthian Church, and this I leave you with your zeal has provoked very many. I just pray that any zeal that come from this meeting this morning might provoke others. If any man's zeal provoked me more than anything else, then I would to God that I was zealous for God. But oh, Leonard Raven. You get his books and get his tapes and get his tracks and get anything you can on him and Tozer and read it and read it and read it, and, read it and then the fire will come. Of course, you're the word first. The old cassette tapes that he used to send put me on fire and Barclay on fire. That's what we fed on 34 or 5 years ago. May God stir us up. May you take this message from the heart of God this morning and not from man. Let us pray. Oh God, Take away whatever has been from thee, from us this morning, from me this morning. Whatever has been from thee, Lord, drive it in to some heart or hearts or soul. O God, that we might see where we are. And we might be honest and open before God. Lord, surely we would say this morning, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Thank you for sparing us. Thank you for giving us another opportunity. Thank you for taking the desire for the world and the zeal we had before we were saved, when we were mad for the devil in the world. Plant it all into us, Lord, again now, for politics, for anything else, Lord, that we... Spent our time that was of no use, Father. Oh, God, let us burn out for Jesus. Hear us, we pray. Amen.